Hey, I'm Kevin. Hey, I'm Johnny Yee. Tune into our radio show, Philly Rock Live. We play the classic hard rock and metal from the 70s and 80s. We grew up on. We play the new music those same bands are making today. And we play new music from around the world. Not to mention the great bands from our own local scene. You will not hear a mix of music like this anywhere else. If it kicks ass, we, we play it. Philly Rock Live. Thursday, 7 to 9 p.m. Philly time. On phillyrockradio.com. Listen online with your mobile device or even your smart speaker. And now, and now, it's time for another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. We talk hard-hitting sports and bone-crunching metal. Sports and Metal, because sports and metal go better together. Now here's your host, Jason Voorhees, and Aaron Savage. Oh yeah! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Sports and Metal Podcast. We are your hosts, as always. This is Aaron Savage. With me, as always, my partner in crime. There he is, Mr. Jason Voorhees. What's going on, Jay? How are you? Not, man. I'm pumped. Yeah, we have a big guest tonight. But before we get into that, uh, I have to give a shout out to our number one sponsor, La Terrain Watches. Make sure you go to their website, www.laterrain.com. That's la T-O-U-R-A-I-N-E.com. Use our promo code SNM. That's the letters S-N-M, as in sports and metal, and you're going to save 10% off your purchase. Tell them sports and metal sent you. So without further ado, let me introduce our very special guest tonight. Um, he's a veteran author, music journalist. He's the editor and host of the iHeart Radio program podcast, Backstaged, The Devil and Metal which I listened to season one. I'm waiting for season two. It's awesome. Uh, he's also an author. He's written Louder Than Hell, the definitive oral history of heavy metal. Uh, he's written I'm the Man, the story of that guy from Anthrax, the uh, Scott Ian autobiography. He's written Al Jorgensen's autobiography. Uh, he's written Raising Hell, backstage tales from the lives of metal legends. He's worked for Rolling Stone. He's written for Rolling Stone, MTV, VH1, Guitar Magazine, Guitar.com, Musician.com musicplayer.com. Uh, he has a Bachelor of Science in Journalism from Boston University. Without further ado, please welcome to the show, Mr. John Wiederhorn. Hey. What's up, John? <laughs> How you guys doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Good, good. Good. Man. What have you been up to, man? You're, you're a friend of the show. We've had you on before. We always are very happy to have you on, and we're always glad that you're willing to accept our invitation. But tell us what you've been up to, man. It's uh, It's been a crazy year. Um, I've been, uh, working pretty intently on a couple books, uh, and then still freelancing for, you know, a bunch of different, uh, magazines. Well, mostly guitar world. That's kind of my main go-to these days where they come to me, <laughs> but, um, but it's been, uh, it's been some, uh, pretty cool, uh, interviewing a lot of, a lot of happening bands, but, uh, you know, things are just sort of even now resurfacing from the, uh, specter of, of, uh, you know music and journalism and COVID. And, and it, it was, uh, I'm so glad to be able to go to shows, man. I mean, for the longest time, I know people have been just going without masks for over a year now, but I, I it took me until after I got COVID to say, fuck it. But yeah, it's definitely great to be back to, with live music. And you were just telling us before we went live, 
just last night you were at the show in Montclair, New Jersey, here in our home state, uh, the Armored Saint and Wasp show. Yep. And uh, I was talking about it with you before we came live. Obviously, John Bush uh, couldn't perform. Unfortunately, he's he's got an illness. Hopefully, right. it's not COVID. But Jason McMaster from Dangerous Toys filled in. And uh, how, how was that? How was he? He was great. I was kind of bumming because, you know, Armored Saint is, uh, well, it isn't just John Bush, but he's the, the voice of sure. of a saint as as well as uh, Anthrax for a little while. But uh, I always loved loved his saint stuff. So, but McMaster totally pulled it off. He uh, he was all pro. Uh, he was rocking. He was having a good time. And the band were fantastic. They they looked like they were having a great time too. And it, it really brought me back to the first the first club metal show I ever went to was uh, Armored Saint opening, and then Wasp and Metallica. So and that was in circle. Baltimore, um, you know, back in 84, I guess. Um, so it uh, it was a trip to be able to see Armored Saint with Wasp again. Yeah, full circle. That's, that's yeah. cool. And how was Wasp? I have to ask. They were actually really good, you know. I was a Chris Combs guy, so I was like, oh, I don't really know if Blackie and this, this bunch of other guys are going to pull it off but they did uh, it was all pro they they did a, a set of oldies pretty much uh, sticking mostly the first three albums and uh great great live presentation great uh, great charisma and uh it was a lot of fun a lot of a lot of upper middle-aged guys there <laughs> <laughs> i have to ask obviously when you think of wasp you think of you know the raw meat getting thrown and obviously we know that's not happening these no days. meat no. <laughs> but what did what what did we get stage wise from Wasp in the current incarnation. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't even, well, you know, there's uh, Blackie in his kind of kind of trademark attire, but he didn't drink blood from a skull. Uh, unfortunately, I was I was looking forward to that again. Um, I guess he figured other people stole his thunder on that one. Like, uh, who's, who's uh, drank? But I think King Diamond drank blood, of course. Yeah. Uh, um, Mayhem drank blood from a skull, so. Yeah. It's old hat now, <laughs> but, uh, but, but he was good. You know, he was, he was great. He was grateful to the crowd. Uh, they closed, uh, with, uh, a medley of, um, animal fuck like a beast. And, uh, can you see the real me from the who? Um, and it was just, it was pretty killer. They had, uh, uh, big television screens that were broadcasting their videos. So you could see the old wasp while you're watching the new wasp and some of those videos, man, you know, you sometimes forget what those '80s videos look like with the scant, not just scantily clad chicks, which is of course a trademark, but stuff you definitely couldn't pull off today. And, and it was tongue in cheek, but like if for Love Machine, you got this uh, gorgeous blonde in a, a tank that's gradually filling with water, and it looked like something out of a Saw movie. Water never went above her head, so maybe it's like more of a dream sequence than a in torture scene yeah <laughs> but uh between that and the uh the uh exercise devices with chains attached to them and these gorgeous girls uh connected to them you know it was pretty suggestive stuff but uh, yeah. that's what the 80s were all about of course jason and i were supposed to be at that show last night and honestly we we both kind of forgot about it I, and jay's actually going this coming week in pennsylvania out by valley forge so he, unfortunately, I can't make it, but I'm disappointed we would have bumped into you last night. No, oh, yeah. yeah. I've missed yeah. so many shows just by not realizing it. Like, I'm still kicking myself for missing Merciful Fate 
in uh in brooklyn i just spaced on the date you know yeah <laughs> it's like it happens oh, like, yeah fake back i'm like <laughs> yeah oh, that's what happens when you get older we, we start spacing on all the dates we were supposed to go see uh i forget what band it was at, in vineland and, and we missed that show too so yeah it's it, it happens a lot but speaking speaking of vineland ironically uh, i know except had to cancel a show there last month uh, i think it was at the landis theater in vineland and I know Jason McMaster filled in when they played their yeah. Penn's Peak, Pennsylvania show. He filled in for except for when Mark Turnillo was sick. So right. he's making right. the rounds. Yeah. He's yeah. like everybody's bullpen guy now. <laughs> I was never a big Dangerous Toys fan, but to hell, if he can pull it, you know, he could do the uh, the, the fill-in for, uh, you know, kind of like the the bench, uh, uh, the, the, what a pinch hitter. He's pinch hitting. Yeah, for yeah exactly. Fans. A little sports references here. Yeah, it is sports yeah. and metal. But yeah, that, I saw Overkill not so long ago, and uh, uh, Phil from uh, Machine Head, well, formerly, uh, was was uh, playing playing guitar for them, which was pretty cool. And God, apparently, he's done that a lot with Overkill too. So it's a little bit of the juggling, I guess. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I, I me, Jason and I have a few things we want to get we want to get your thoughts on before we do though. Tell us about the two books you're working on. Like, oh yeah, tell yeah. Tell us about this. Yeah, I'm Good really news. excited about it. One is with uh, Marty Friedman, who uh, played with, of course, Megadeth. I like to see that Megadeth uh, sweater you're wearing or hoodie. Jay's uh, favorite band. Yeah, yeah, um, and with good reason. But um, I don't know. I thought he was on their two best albums. Um, super arguable because because uh, they put out a bunch. But um, he was with them for ten years, and uh, he talks uh, candidly about those uh, years, as well as all the time he spent uh, before that. Uh, he was in Cacophony with uh, Jason Becker, you know, legendary guitarist who very sadly uh, contracted ALS mm -hmm. while he was in the David Lee Roth band. Yep. And they became super close when, uh, you know, Marty and, and Jason did when, when uh, they were in Cacophony together. So he, he tells sort of the inside story of his relationship and, and uh, uh, Jason's struggle. And uh, he talks about his early bands, Deuce, and Hawaii. Um, and then an awful lot, an awful lot of the book is about when he said, I just don't want to be in a breakthrough me uh, metal band anymore. I've got this, I've, I've always loved Japan. I've always, I've loved J-pop music. I want to live in Japan. Everybody thought I was absolutely out of his mind for, uh, you know, quitting Megadeth uh, right at a time where they were still filling, filling venues. Metal was in a weird place, but, um, he didn't want to play metal anymore. He wanted to play J-pop. So he went to Japan. And before long, he was playing with some of the best uh, J-pop players. And then he made uh, inroads and ended up doing TV shows. He's been on hundreds of uh, television shows. Right now, he's actually hosting one for Hulu, uh, Hulu in Japan. Um, but one of his coolest was, uh, I think, uh, something food, Rock Fujiyama, where... He uh, was was pretty much the the MC, and uh, he had different guests on, and they did these sketches, and he'd run back and forth with his guitar and be wailing on all this crazy, crazy shit, and they mixed um, popular Japanese songs with uh, classic metal tunes, and so they'd play these like weird variations of the two. I mean, Japanese media is 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 kind of surreal and and out there, so. Sure um it was pretty it's you know it was pretty insane stuff and for him to be this american you know who learned to speak japanese fluently um and went over there and 
lived out his dream. I mean, he's lived out like three dreams now, um, and he's still doing it. He's there. He, he's he's uh, he's been uh, appointed an ambassador of ja of uh, Japanese culture uh, to spread through the world, and so he keeps, you know, he he plays with the Tokyo Philharmonic all the time. And uh, he tours with J-pop bands and then he tours his solo stuff. So he still gets to play metal. And um, he says every few years he gets a call from Mustaine. and <laughs> He has to uh, regretfully turn it down. But, uh, uh, you know, he, he's glad that uh, they have a great lineup now and, and a really good guitarist. Who Would Mustaine to, ever to admit to that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I did, I did recently talk to Mustaine and he talked about... Uh, the moment that Marty was uh, uh, definitively out of the band, not definitively out, the, the moment he felt Marty was going to definitely leave. And it was uh, when they were uh, doing the song Breadline um, for, uh, for Risk. And uh, Marty was really excited about the solo he'd played for the song. The label wanted to make this a big, uh, a big single for the album. And Marty had done something very kind of neoclassical, you know, uh, I guess lots of notes and, and complexities and management got back to Dave and said, uh, yo man, we, we love the song, but, uh, this solo, you know, you got to replace the solo. Dave said, really, you want to replace Marty's solo? And they said, yeah. He's like, well, okay, we've got a couple choices. Either we can cut it out and just put a sound bite over it or music over it. I can play it, but you better tell Marty that I'm playing the solo he was supposed to play or we can get him back in to redo it. And they said, no, no, you just do it. We got to get this done right away. So Dave did the solo. He didn't tell Marty because, you know, he, he uh, had no idea that uh, management hadn't. And uh, so then he goes, uh, the album release comes out. They're having the, the, uh, listening to the playback. Marty hears Breadline. And as the solo comes up, Dave said he's looking at him. At him Dave's solo, which replaced his, mm -hmm. uh, plays, and Marty's jaw just drops. And he said he was wow. crestfallen. And uh, he said he could tell he was just really hurt and pissed. Yeah, I and, never heard that story. Amazing story. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mustaine told me that, actually, uh, for an interview I just recently did with him for, for Guitar World. Um, and, you know, Marty basically confirmed it, but he was he kind of had a foot out the door before then. And then he agreed to keep touring with them um you know finish finish up the uh the album uh, for the countdown no it was for the risk of course uh tour but uh and he did but he suffered severe panic attacks because he you know mentally wasn't there and he didn't feel connection with the band or his bandmates anymore um and he actually had to be pretty much babysat by his wife during the day and spoon fed and and really coddled because emotionally he just really couldn't handle it I mean, i'm not exaggerating he said it was wow. he was a wreck and then he'd make it to the show and when he was on stage he could do it but as soon as he stepped off stage again he's like get me to the hotel I, I can't i can't even be around and it wasn't so much that he hated the band or the bandmates they were still you know he still considers them as good friends but uh i guess he'd made this decision and and just the emotional intensity of it was uh, too much too much to bear at the time Wow, what that's an amazing story. I know. That's crazy. Yeah, never I never heard that. Wow. Yeah, he was very forthcoming about a lot of stuff and and I think it's going to be a really interesting read for people. Yeah. Um, when when it, should we expect to see that interview? 
Um, well, the, the book should come out next year, uh, probably towards the end of the year. Oh, but, okay. Uh, no, I, okay. I, and I, what I meant to say was the Dave Mustaine guitar. Oh, oh, that's did out. did that's, that come out yet? Yeah, it was actually, I think, last month's cover story on. Uh, I missed it. Okay. But I'm you know gonna, what? It is online. I'm going to so, have to check that uh, out. Guitarworld.com. They definitely. Cool. Have and when should we expect there. the book? That'll be probably uh, towards the end of next year. Okay. Cool. And what, what other book you working on? Around. Well, I'm working with um, a guy named Derek Schulman, who's quite a legend in the music industry. Um, for prog rock fans out there, he was the frontman of the band Gentle Giant, um, British influential band that came up with King Crimson and Genesis and Pink Floyd, but never, they were very popular in their time and played toured all of Europe and, and America and sold lots of records, but they never reached that plateau that like Yes did and Genesis did. Um, so they were around for 10 years from 1970 to 1980. Uh, before that, he was actually in a really successful pop group um, call, called uh, Simon Dupree and the Big Sound. He was Simon Dupree, and his brother played in the band with him, Ray Shulman. Um, and they were on top of the pops, and you know they were around when a lot of English bands were just up and coming. And you know they they uh, auditioned at Abbey Road in front of George Martin and and uh, Jeffrey Emmerich and they they uh, played the circuit with everyone from uh, Uriah Heep to Black Sabbath, um, and so it's a it's an interesting story in that it captures his early years uh, coming up with this band um, Simon Dupree, and they were very poppy and a little psychedelic. And then they decided we're tired of playing straight music. We want to do stuff that's you know much more complicated and off the wall. So we formed Gentle Giant, and uh, the whole uh, career arc of Gentle Giant uh, is followed in the book. And then at uh, when they broke up in 80, since he was basically acting as the band's manager or making the business decision, decisions in their in their later years, he entered the music business and uh, worked at Polygram, starting in the A&R department. First band he signs is Bon Jovi. Hmm. Um, he discovered them and uh, kind of nurtured them at a time where they didn't, you know, they were just starting out. They had one single. Uh, that was getting played on local radio, and it was uh, the, the John John Bon Jovi band. No, it, I can't. Runaway. Well, the single would have been Runaway. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it yeah. wasn't. They weren't Bon Jovi. They weren't Bon Jovi yet. It was. It was John, I know John had been John Bon Jovi all one word station in Manhattan. H N. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then and then Derek went on to become the uh, CEO of Atco. Uh, um, I mean, the CEO of Polygram moved over to Atco, signed uh, Pantera, signed Cinderella, signed Kingdom Come, signed Slipknot after he went over to to uh, Roadrunner. And it, it really follows these two stories of his, this uh, being a, a frontman of a touring rock band and then the other side of the business, learning what it's like to uh, to run uh, a record company and, and deal with artists on on that level. And uh, he said he was really glad that he had been a touring musician because he definitely uh, was a taken more seriously by by a lot of these guys. Like ACDC didn't want to deal with record company types, uh, but they were pretty, you know, they they were close to him and they knew him. And then when he came in and helped resurrect their career, um, 
doing that kind of second wave. Um, I think that was when Thunderstruck came out probably around then, but uh, yeah, they were, they were open to him being in the studio and like watching what they were doing and offering tips because he was an industry veteran. He was a, a musician. He was kind of one of them. And he said that served him well, really with, with all the artists that, uh, that he dealt with. Um, and yeah, he says there's evil sides of the music industry for sure. And there's um, lots of stories of, uh, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and hookers and blow. <laughs> and, um, but he wasn't, uh, he was a straight, uh, straight shooter. His, his dad actually tragically died of a, a heart attack when, when uh, he was 50. Uh, his dad was 50 and he was 15 indelibly stamped him for life and i'm kind of jumping around here but it's sort of germane because uh he decided well first he thought he'd never live past 50 he's in his 70s now but uh, he decided to live a straight and and clean lifestyle and aside from when someone dosed him on acid uh one of the uh friends of someone in status quo and and he held onto a pole in the street for dear life for hours <laughs> while oceans of blood uh, uh wave washed up around him uh, during his bad trip. Aside from that, he's never, he's, he's never had any weed or he's never done any Coke and, and, uh, he'd go drinking with Pantera and then he'd take, you know, he'd go to the bar and have a club soda. So it looked like he was having you know, like a vodka or something, yeah. or if they were doing shots, he'd like pour his into the potted plant. Um, so, so it was a trip, but they loved him. He was really super uh, important to, to them getting signed and you know their their early years for sure now i'm really looking this sounds like to a freaking awesome like like both of these books like i'm 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 psyched because both yeah. stories are amazing like i think it's amazing that you know it's detailing somebody that was actually a musician that's now on the other side of the business because you would think that would happen more often no beings that like they have that you know closeness together they right. understand each other and you know having played in a band they respect him more and some yeah a lot of musicians go on to management and some do go on to become producers but but you're right on the on the record label front it, you don't see too many record label executives you know outside of like motown or or, or you know the the people who who uh, are a lot of the hip-hop artists go on to form their own labels and stuff but uh but yeah to to grow organically from one label to another through starting with the promotions department going up through a and r and then becoming a ceo it's a pretty incredible thing um and uh you know i've always wanted to do books on people who who not only were were you know famous and and had crazy stories to tell but had a really interesting story a really interesting life and a really interesting arc where you know like with someone um scotty ian for instance he you know started off as as uh this just high school kid who discovered he loved metal and then uh, you know said well you know i love iron maiden why can't i do this i'll yeah. yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do the same thing i'm gonna make a band i'm gonna and he followed his dream and you know became a spokesperson of, of metal to this day and has been one of the greatest thrash bands yeah. of course and then with um al jurgensen i just wanted to I, I knew I couldn't go wrong with that. I wanted to tell the most outrageous uh, memoir type story that, that you ever could read because I knew he was, you know, he lived this insane life. He overdosed like dozens of times. Yeah. He was doing heroin all day long for 15 years. 
and uh, somehow came out the other side now. And I believe he's sober even, though he's struggled with that in the past. But I saw him not so long ago, and he looked really good. Um, but he had a crazy story. And all these guys were instrumental in these scenes, like, you know, with uh, with with um, Scotty, he could tell the whole story of Thrash, really. And Al could tell the whole story of the birth of industrial music up to up to the present. And even, even Roger Moret from Agnostic Front, who I worked on with a book, you know, he was there from the ground up with uh, uh, living in the in the streets with that, the guys in Agnostic Front and, and Cro-Mags and uh, Murphy's Law, other, ba other bands uh, squatting together and then building this scene for themselves on the New York uh, Lower East Side. So yeah, I guess I guess I love stories, you know, not yeah, just. And, uh, and you're you're right. I mean, days. Scott, I'm the man. The Scott Ian book you did with him, one of my one of my favorite books I've ever read. Oh, um, thanks. And 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 you and you you nail it. It's true. I mean, you think of Al Jorgensen, you think of Scott Ian. He was there for the birth of Thrash, <clears throat> as far as being a part of it and even being on the periphery of it. You know, he would go into Johnny Z's record store all the time, <clears throat> and Johnny had no, zero interest in Anthrax until. Finally, he did. They pestered him to death. I think they pestered they finally, him. Absolutely, finally, I think signed him when they sabotaged him in the IHOP. On he Rudy was Green. running errands for Johnny, basically, and yeah, taking yeah. the guys in Metallica to their uh, decrepit warehouse where they uh, lived and rehearsed. Yeah, let them crash there. But I, I will tell you, one of the things I loved about reading Scotty's book is I grew up around the area where Johnny Z had the record store, and I, I used to go to that IHOP. That's where uh -huh. that was always where I had my chocolate chip face pancake. When I was a kid, I could just picture Johnny Z sitting there and Scott coming in and sat and, you know, bugging him at breakfast. But Al Jorgensen's another one. I mean, he's from the beginnings. Like, I mean, you listen to the first Ministry album. Uh, what's the name of it? Sympathy? I can't remember the first With record. With Sympathy, yeah. With Sympathy. There you go. Thank you, John. Um, it's pure 80s Duran Euro Duran. pop. Yeah, it's <laughs> Duran Duran. Like, how did Al Jorgensen's journey take him from that to what we get now? What it, he it, says, it, yeah, boggles the mind. He never wanted to be a uh, hairsprayed pop star. Sure, but the label made him do it. But Don't even had the faux exactly British accent. He was, I he think he wanted to succeed, you know. Yeah, and I but think it, he was like, "I'll play whatever, whatever's going to work." But he had this love for this aggressive, sure. you know, uh, ferocious music, and then he gradually turn ministry into really like an industrial thrash band. And, and oh, absolutely. But, but the point being is like, it's the same thing with Scott and Al, how they were there from the birth right, of right. their genres. And they can tell the whole story as good as anybody. Right. You know, and, and you know what? People talk about Nine Inch Nails. By the way, to me, Pretty Hate Machine is my favorite, <coughs> excuse me, Nine Inch Nails album. Oh, but brilliant. when you talk about albums to me that were the game changers that really – Got us to where we ended up in the in the '90s when when industrial really blew up. Twitch, Ministries, Twitch album. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, that was like that was like what Nine Inch Nails was before Nine Inch Nails was Nine Inch Nails. Okay, but what, what, what got Ministry what, where I was sold on them was the mind is a terrible thing to taste because Twitch really had the sampled guitars. Nothing sure. on there was actually played. I, I mean, it was played yes. into the samples. But you're right; that's where they really got heavy. And, yeah, uh, that and was Stigmata. to me. That was where the sound was born. Yeah, and Stigmata was the birth of you know industrial metal. Um, sure. But uh, it's funny you mentioned Nine Inch Nails. Uh, you, you look back at your career, and I've been doing this for a stupid long time. So uh, I, I interviewed um, for Hit Parader magazine. I interviewed Trent Reznor right before the Downward Spiral came out, 
Now, I'd been a fan of Pretty Hate Machine, which is a pretty straightforward, you know, dancey, electronic album with some really heavy vocals. It is. It's an aggressive guitars. dance album. Yeah. But it's it's not something that that kind of comes at you from 16 different directions. And Agreed. Downward Spiral is more of a roller coaster. Agreed. It's a it's this epic kind of cinematic record. So so uh, I asked Trent Reznor during the course of the interview, I said, well, this is a really interesting album and it's very, very diverse. It's quite a change of pace from uh, Pretty Hate Machine and, and um, A Broken. Do you think that maybe on a commercial level, you may have shot yourself in the foot? <laughs> and of course, that was the album that that broke uh, them with the mainstream, you know, in a huge way. Oh, um, yeah. You know, it, it, well, a tour, a concert that I'll always hearken back to in my memories fondly. Just because you talked about Wasp with the video with the girl and the, you know, whatever. When I saw Nine Inch Nails in 94 with the Jim Rose Circus and Marilyn Manson when they had just come out with uh, Portrait of American Family. Right. What a fucking show. What a show it was. I mean, it was if you if there was ever a show to scare your parents and like make you think the world was coming to an end, it was that show. I don't I don't know what a, about it. To, to, I mean, it that was the chaos. That's what that's what's missing today. And a lot of it's because there's so many lawsuits and yeah. because people are afraid of, of you know, doing something. It's it's going to get them uh, in in tons of trouble. But but that show you had Manson, you had Reznor, everyone was crazed and you didn't know what was going to happen any any given night. You know, yep. uh, uh, Manson very well might whip his uh his uh, thing mic out. stand in into his drummer's head, which <laughs> yeah. he did on numerous occasions, or with um, his thing out. He was, from what I recall, or he would make it on stage at the garden. Either pretend to blow him, or would actually do so, depending <laughs> on what you read or believe. Uh, so it was, you know, it was a risky, dangerous time. Manson used to cut himself with a broken light bulb. I saw him do that. Uh, on I think it was a Lollapalooza. Does, did they play a Lollapalooza tour? Maybe, maybe it was a, a uh, an Ozfest. Yeah, I think, it, I was. think it was an Ozfest. It was, yeah. an Ozfest. but it was pretty have nuts. You ever interviewed, like Iggy Pop, you know. Have you ever interviewed Manson? Yeah, a couple times, wow. a few times. How, He's really smart. how was that? I I know he, he is. I've read his book, and his yeah, book is, unfortunately, his you know his uh, current career is maybe in a state of flux. Who knows? Uh, but if you know, if if I I guess uh, you know I had. On the politically correct bandwagon, it's so hard to, you know, see things happen to people like Louis C.K. and then root for him. But he certainly came back, you know. He's, yeah, I, I, it'd be tough for Manson to come back. But Manson, I think, has had a different level of, uh, you know, uh, I guess, debauchery <laughs> and, and pushing the line just too far. But God, yeah. he's a smart guy. He's a he funny really guy. Is. I mean, I thought and he, he, lived I thought he was brilliant back then. I mm -hmm. mean, his... I, it was Jeff. It was it was something to behold. It was definitely like for me, for me personally, my favorite Manson era. I my favorite album from Manson is probably Mechanical Animals. Mm, I, I love like, that. I, like I love Blanny, the Bowie and David Bowie. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But if I'm gonna go elsewhere, I'm not gonna go Antichrist. I'm going Portrait. I just think the mm. Portrait of an American Family had like almost like an appetite for destruction thing for me, where okay. it was like. 
it was like a game changing album. Like it was scaring the shit out of your parents. You know what I mean? It was something about that record, like the, just the, the way the band was introduced to the world with you know the names like Madonna, Wayne Gacy, Marilyn Manson, and it, we hadn't seen anything like that before. And the imagery and next motherfucker's gonna get my medal, right. and you know cake and sodomy and get your gun. Oh, and then, like, like, like said, when Slipknot came out and no one knew who the fuck they were, and yep. they're wearing these track suits with this these insane masks and and you know just creating complete chaos on stage it's kind of that same vibe i really i really love bands that you look at and say how the fuck did they break like tool tool is an amazing band but there's nothing blatantly commercial about them you know absolutely to, yeah you're to, right i think that they they sold millions of records and yeah even you know, their God singles are eight minutes it. long <laughs> like how <laughs> <laughs> think about it listen we could go on all day about this jay and i put a couple things here i'm gonna let this one, first one's going to be for Jay, because um, obviously you know he's a huge Megadeth fan. Obviously, you're working on the Marty Friedman book. Jay wants to know your thoughts on the latest Megadeth release. Mm, I think it's the best thing they've done in so long. Um, hard to say. Oh, it's the best thing, you know, since uh, uh, oh, uh, uh, not not uh, Rust in Peace. Um, no, no. Maybe yeah, or cryptic writings I like, but yeah, it's it, it's hard to say. Oh, it's the best since, but god damn it, he came to the table and and those songs are super heavy, well written thrash tunes with a ton of heart. And just to know what he was going through when he did them, uh, you know, to know that he was having chemo and radiation treatments in between sessions, basically, is he like get done with his uh, a treatment and go straight to the studio and and his bandmates were you know uh were like are, are you are you sure you want to come in we can we can do this another time and he's like nah fuck it we're you know i'm i'm, I'm dedicated i'm gonna do this and and he said for the most part you know i guess as far as these things go his chemo symptoms weren't disastrously heavy there were a couple of days he was throwing up all day and uh he was trying to work and he said what he called chemo, he had what he called chemo brain, where he would get confused a lot and bump into things because his um, equilibrium was off. But he said, really, there are only a few terrible days. And a lot of it, you know, being with the band and making the music and doing what he loved was where he wanted to be and was was therapeutic for him. I love awesome. it. I know Jay loves the record. I mean, that's that's where I was with it, and when when I first heard the record, and and I agree. I guess it's kind of sacrilegious to say like it's on that level, but it's definitely for me the best since. I I loved all their albums. I I don't think Megadeth really put out a bad album. The only album I didn't like, probably in their entire career, was Super Flyer. That's probably the not, one. Not Risk. I don't. I actually like Risk. I like Risk. Not, there's a lot that way. I don't like on it. I like moments. I like three or four songs a lot, but yeah. yeah. I don't think Risk is as bad as it gets credit for. It's almost like it's their I turbo. Think a lot of times, I think a lot of times, like I look at Nostradamus the same way with Judas Priest. A lot yeah. of people don't like Nostradamus, but I think it's actually a decent record. I think maybe the longer it goes, it, it might end up having a cult following down the line. But we could geek out here, but with Nostradamus, I think if that was one album instead of two. And if they had used orchestration instead of just keyboards, uh, you know, synthesizer uh, violin sounds, it could have been massive. 
Yeah. Yeah, I guess maybe you're right. It was too long making it a double album. That's probably what takes away from, from it being a better record. You guys are making this easy. All these subjects, we could tie them in. So let's talk about double albums. <laughs> double albums. Guns N' Roses released the Use Your Losing Super Deluxe set. I, you, I you, don't you have think, the John? whole thing. I'm still still trying to get through all the tracks on the Beatles Revolver uh, remix, which is astounding. <laughs> but well, um, it was a great, I mean, you know, great, great albums. Uh, I remember when they came out and you had to buy one and the other like right away. Is it, did they... They released them the same day, same or day yeah. Apart? Same day, okay. Same yeah. day. I remember yep. buying them both. Um, yeah, uh, but you know, again, I thought they could have made one fantastic album out of that instead of the two. To me, there's filler. I know diehard Guns fans, you know, love it all and live by every every note, every word. But come on, Appetite was all killer, no filler. And when you look at the uh, User Illusions. There's there's some extraneous stuff, I think. It's a fair point. See, I'm that Guns fanatic, so mm -hmm. I do love all of it. Admittedly, I don't want to live without any of it. But I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge, if you took the best from each one of those records, you have one of the greatest albums of all time. Right. You know, but you're right. I mean, let, let's be honest. Appetite is just a different beast. It's a different animal. It's a different band. Appetite it is a different band. Five they guys. were in a different place, you know. Yeah, they street were... merchants. Yeah, they exactly. They had no fame. They had yep. no money. They they were, you know, street you, Guns and Roses sums up everything great and bad about rock and roll and everything cliche about it. Like Guns and Roses sums it all up. I mean, think about it. You have this young, hungry band. I thought that was Motley Crue. <laughs> I, I think Motley Crue wants to be that, but I think Guns and Roses <laughs> is that, right? Right. I do think that. But no, I, I mean, you think about Guns and Roses – you know, you have five guys broke as a joke, all with heroin addictions, sharing one room apartment, mooching off of Vicky Hamilton, who was their manager and basically financed their lives. Right. You know, and basically doing something that nobody else was really doing at the time in L.A. You know, they I mean, they had their moments of glam and they but it was more Hanway Rocks, sleazy, yeah. you know, sticky fingers, Rolling Stones era mixed with like Johnny Thunders and the Sex Pistols to me. It yeah. wasn't poison, you know. It was right. just doing something different, and then they they blew up, and they shouldn't have, right? They became a, this the biggest band in the world, and but they never toured on that album as a headliner. It was all opening, so then you had this long hiatus. They put lies out to kill the time. They were all so messed up on junk that they couldn't get them all in the studio together. They finally reconvened in Chicago. Four years later, they released this double magnum opus. And it was a totally different band. Like the band that was lean, mean, five guys, just guitars, amps, bass, nothing else. Now is this giant corporation. Yeah, almost like this. Orchestras and background yeah. singers like, within like, a five-year period. Like it's like it, – and it, it, was, it was doomed to implode, right? It was doomed Yeah, to I think there's some of that. I think yeah. they got too big too fast, mm -hmm. and they were already on – you know, this, this out of control locomotive that was, had one wheel off the tracks at least no pun at intended. all times, but locomotive. that's what made them so great at first, you mm -hmm. know? And cause there was that, are they going to sound like total shit? Is Axel going to even show up? Are they going to, you know, just blow me away and, and, and make it feel like I'm in an arena when they're in this tiny Hollywood club? Um, you know, they had, it was the chemistry 
and uh, <laughs> and the chemicals. But um, <laughs> there was there was that hunger and that presence. It was just monstrous, you know. Yeah. It, uh, you know, I just don't see that in any bands today. And maybe some of it's because it's so so hard to reach that level of of success. It's like you almost have to uh, go with a playbook that's preconceived by uh, by the the record elite, you know, the the, the executives. Yeah. If you want to uh, be, be get, get play and be taken seriously. And I mean, Ghost, I guess, have broken out to some extent with their own their own formula, you know, um, good for them. They're, they're, I think they're pretty great. Um, and I, I don't know. I can't, I I just like can't think of who, that many other metal bands. I was just going to ask you, who do you think... Like what band could could be big enough to carry the torch? Like I I I I used to think of Ed Sevenfold, but even they've been on a hiatus for like five years. I haven't even I don't think they put put even a new single out. Like right right, and then there was Black Veil Brides and Asking Alexandria, and they kind of seem like the next wave. I don't know. I look at Turnstile, and I think they're pretty pretty killer, but it's more they have a pop punky kind of vibe yeah. too. Um, Oh, and then there's, yeah. there's that other band on Roadrunner who I'm blanking on for at the moment. Orange, or Orange Nine is it? Orange? No, no. Or something? Code Orange. Code, Code Orange, Orange is really okay. good and and really really I think forward thinking. But there aren't that many. Like an Arch Enemy. What's I mean, I love Arch Enemy, but it's old school Gothenburg, you know, uh, death melodic death metal. Yeah. It's great. Tell me that doesn't like blow your mind when you realize it's a chick singing it like <laughs> and it always was now it's Alyssa yeah. and you know before. and that's what i mean though it's like you hear the vocals and you're like oh my god that's that's a woman singing and that's why i like the new album they had they had some clean vocals on it and actually yeah. sounds awesome yeah she sounds really good but yeah, i mean didn't she me, just did a is... single with nita strauss on yeah. nita's album yes yeah that's a great track yeah, yeah. yeah. To to yeah. me, Michael Amott is is that band though, and he's an astonishing songwriter and and, and guitarist. And uh, you know, he was part of Carcass when when they did Heartwork, which is I one of my favorite uh, uh, metal death metal albums because it's so melodic. And I know they went from you know like uh, Reek of Putrefaction, Symphonies of uh, uh, Sickness to there's one album in between, but to this much, much more melodic and less, you know, oh my God, I'm going to puke from these lyrics type group. But, but if you listen back to it, Heartwork has just some amazing playing on it and some great songwriting. And then he brought that to Arch Enemy, who's to this day. Yeah. I mean, I think they, they kick, you know, you know, who's coming out with an album ne early next year. That's, it's also really, really cool from that, that scene is uh, in flames. Oh, okay. I didn't know they had a new record coming out. Yeah, it's coming yeah. out in February. It's been, I mean, I wouldn't say it's been a secret, but I really haven't seemed announced on anything. And then I just happened to be on the uh, Nuclear Blast uh, German website. And um, yeah, they've got this uh, this new album. What's it called? Um, I can't even, oh, Forgone, I think. Okay. Uh, anyway, yeah, to me, it's like Clayman. It's like they've gone back to that thrashy melodic death metal sound where for a long time, to me at least, it seemed like they were trying to do a much more mainstream new metal-ish kind of, kind of thing. Okay. Well, I got, you guys tied me into the next one you brought up. We talked about Marilyn Manson. You brought up Motley Crue, John. So 
Let's talk about it. John Five replacing Mick Mars and Motley Crue. What are your thoughts? I love John Five to death. Um, I think he's one of the best guitarists out there. I agree. I think he can play anything. I mean, when he was in DLR, he sounded exactly like Eddie Van Halen. He was my favorite guitarist with Marilyn Manson. Um, he's great in Zombie. I just wanted to see Motley Crue hang it up after they wrote in blood with contracts saying that they were going to do that. I, I, I and Listen, I can forgive a lot of bands because, listen, Ozzy's done it. Kiss has done it. Right. But what makes it more disappointing with the crew is that they called out all those bands and said they'd never right. do it. And okay, then, okay, let, we can maybe live with it. Cause this, let's be honest. I was excited for the stadium tour, but to see them come out and to me just be a shadow of what they once were, I found it disappointing. They went out on top back in 2015. You know, Vince never sounded great live. So it's not like, it's not like he was great. It's when people are dogging on Vince, he was never great live, right. but he's just not, he's even worse now. You know, so it was really disappointing. But John Five, my biggest thing with John Five and the crew is I think he's going to be bored. No disrespect to Mick <laughs> Mars, but have you watched his Instagram when he's playing like Too Fast for Love? John Five looks like he's sleeping playing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's he's one of the great metal and guitarists out now. I wouldn't even say metal. He is such a great guitarist. He's, yeah, he's a virtuoso. When I think of John Five, and I know he's been in a lot, you, you, you mentioned all of it, but to me, John Five, like the the memory I have when I think of him is playing with Manson when he's yeah. the the song that I vividly remember. I, I believe it's on Mechanical Animals. I want to say it's called The Great Big White World. Great yeah. song for that when John Five is just going like this and like just his head's like it looks like his head's going in circles. <laughs> like he's just and but it, he makes it look effortless. You're right, like. He is definitely underrated as far as I think he doesn't get the credit he should as far as being on that pantheon. That we talked about industrial music. Now we're talking about John Five. What about two with Rob Halford? Remember that record? <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah. Remember oh, I Am a Pig, the video? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It uh uh unfortunately it did it, it barely made a, a dent and it, yeah uh, surprising I thought, I thought it was really cool for halford to be to be working with uh trent and and you know writing songs in that vein um but a lot of other people didn't he said that uh when they toured like the places would be three quarters empty yeah it sounded it. like nine inch nails it really did yeah that it record. was it was pretty nine inch nailsy there were a lot of bands around that time like remember gravity kills and stabbing westward yeah, of and, course yeah, yeah yeah they were all all yep, into yep. that that whole thing but but you know who i saw recently who kind of just reaffirmed that yeah you know you can do this like the stones you know iron maiden are the stones of metal maiden still has the same Lineup, the, yeah, their power lineup anyway. Bruce yeah. came and went, but he's still with them. He still sings like a beast. Yeah. And uh, the guitarists, they just, they look like they're having so much fun up there. It's like, true. You, you could tell they put on like a Madonna style stage show. No, no, dis, not, I don't mean that as a diss whatsoever. It's no, I, I totally know what you mean. Extravaganza. Yeah. They had a giant plane coming <laughs> down from the rafters. Yeah. In addition to Eddie sword fights and all kinds of shenanigans. It was, it was great. It's great fun. I went a few years back. I think, Aaron, didn't you go with me? Yeah, we were there. We saw, that was when I first saw Ghost Live. They have, which I'll get into. They're, they're, you're right, John. They're, 
for to be as old as they are and the energy level that that Bruce Dickinson has is second to none. Like I don't think there's anybody that could pair to his energy on the stage because he runs around still like he's like 20 years old and he's yeah. like they got to be in their 70s, right? And and they're not dialing it in. Their albums yeah. are still really I, solid. I agree with you. Hey, I, speaking I, I, of Bruce, did you see him going after the fans smoking weed in the front? <laughs> No, it was. It's all you look. You'll see. You'll find it on Facebook or on. Oh, that's hysterical! Viral. He was pissed off that they were smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. I just thought it was it's funny legal in Jersey now, so uh, rock concert. <laughs> I don't know where this. I saw him in Jersey, so you know it was. He's supposed to be. You'd think he'd be open to that, but uh, yeah, no. I mean, he was pissed, and you know how Bruce can get when he's pissed. Yeah. You would have thought it was Sharon Osbourne. I was going to say throwing eggs, right? Yeah, eggs at him. <laughs> so let's let's go back to the age-old argument of priest versus uh, versus maiden, which also you know you can tie in if you want to talk about the the what the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has become. We already had uh, the banner there. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're psychic. It's like I'm reading your mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh I think Priest's lineup now is incredible. I think the last album was great, but is it Priest when even Glenn Tipton isn't on stage except for, for for three songs? I mean Richie's great, he's an amazing guitarist. Faulkner, I think, is carrying the band right now from a musical, you know, uh guitar extravaganza kind of level. Um, you know, but look at it's it's just, I guess, just age and time, and you can't blame KK. And you know, he, he, of course, left, and you know, yeah, time doesn't slow down. Rift, but you can't blame Glenn for getting sick I mean, and not being sick. able to. And he could still write, and he is writing for the band. So I was super stoked, stoked that they were still great when I saw them last. You know, about three months ago or four months, maybe six months. I don't know, but um, they put on a a, a really great show too. So, you know, I wouldn't. I brought it up, but I, I I wouldn't say, oh, you know, Maiden's the real thing and Priest isn't. I still think Priest rock like like the devil, but uh, but yeah, um, it's it is strange when uh, these lineups you've grown up with are uh, constantly shifting. Well, I think Richie Faulkner was you? a blessing for Priest because when KK left, he seems like a clone of the young KK. Yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, but you, I. I if I you think he's the young KK, that's I think he's Walker. I think he's a better guitarist because oh I, I don't know so. maybe KK can do things that I'm unaware of but I've seen Richie play like straight up jazz and blues and go out of the box and just I play. can't disagree with you there appearance wise appearance yeah. wise, he's definitely the clone but I think he's a better guitar player what were you saying Jay I'm sorry no what happened with so KK dropped an album KK Downing's Priest right. It's not on. It's not on anywhere for streaming now. It's like off off the air. Like it's. Some, I don't know if you heard anything. I you mean, you know, I I heard it. I interviewed him for it. He was all super sour grapes about you know priest. It's called KK's Priest. No, yeah, I, yeah. I'm it's, saying I've heard it and I had the yeah. album on Amazon, but now when you go to I, I go back to stream it, it's gone. It's I not on like Spotify. It's not. It, yeah, it's you can only go on. You can only see it on YouTube now. And I'm like, did something happen? Maybe the name Priest caused legal. Uh, yeah, that's what I, was I don't know about. If you had heard something. But he was on stage with them at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, yeah. they weren't hugging each other, but. Uh, well, I will know. say this: Rob Halford said it was very, very special to be up there with KK, hmm. which I thought was a nice thing. That's a nice you gesture, know? yeah, because there was yeah. a lot of ugliness between. It, really between Glenn and KK, that's where 
things got bad because I guess Glenn hadn't disclosed or maybe didn't even know he was suffering from Parkinson's disease. Cause is, you know, he's had it for 15 years. Um, and uh, KK is accusing him of drinking and being unable to play uh, fast or play accurately and taking pot shots at him. And um, when I interviewed him, I was kind of dumbfounded by, I mean, he's, I, there's two sides to every story, but he was very, very bitter about the whole priest experience and yeah. how they treated him when they re when they reunited and Glenn was out of the band he thought he was a sure thing to be in and uh he, yeah I, uh, I read that as well yeah and he, he was, was very, very upset about that yeah and um, I read Rob's book even, yeah I'm sorry what's that Sean what were you no, saying talk about Rob's book it's amazing no, I was I read Rob's book and he really goes into great detail throughout the book of how it was always tit for tat Right. With KK and Glenn. They never got along. Right. But like, they were, it was like brothers. So good. Just on yeah. a on a confession. I mean, it's called confessional. So a confession. So Confessions. Yes. A confessional yeah. level. It's great. But just to see how forthright and honest he was about suffering in the band being an in the closet uh, gay man and having to act like he's in the 80s, this studly you know, portrait of rock and roll. I think yeah. he illustrated that beautifully in the book. And, unbelievably. And for, for my podcast, I interviewed him and, and uh, he, he, he talked about it in, in detail. And I was like, wow, that was really yeah, sad. It's, it's unbelievable like, in the book. I don't want to go. Have into a, yeah. Doesn't he have a brand new book called biblical coming out where it's out or it's coming. Yeah, out? I think it's out. It's, it's yeah. kind of like the biblical uh, sins of metal. It's a list of, like it's kind of like a handbook. It's it's more of a coffee table book, really, than okay. than a real. Uh, yeah, Confessions um, is a real read. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he he did the uh, yeah that was totally an autobiography and it was un you know unrelenting and honest. And yeah, and speaking really of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Dave Holland was in was included. Oh okay. Uh, I don't know if you've heard. Like you 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 remember the accusations? Yeah, yeah. They never yeah. talked about it. Yeah, I'm yeah, reading boy. some stuff now where there's somebody that knew him, a lady that says that she, I, I, I'm misquoting this, but basically she said that the accuser, remember they said it was um, a special needs kid mm -hmm. that supposedly he assaulted, that he, he really wasn't. He was just a slow learner and he was in on a scam with an older boy. Really? And this is all coming out now posthumously about Dave Holland to clear his name. Mm. So I just. That's. Throwing it no. out there. It was nice he was inducted. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, that's the danger of these he said, she said scenarios. And I'm all for the Me Too movement. And I think that there's been an awful lot of abuse. And, uh, um, you know, women have been put in positions where they've been compromised and, and uh, uh, felt extremely uncomfortable. And that's all super wrong. And, but... You know, sometimes when this happens 30 years ago and now you have an accusation, it's it's hard, you know, um, and I, I probably don't want to say too much because I, I don't really have a stance on it. I just feel like if it can ruin someone's career and their career deserve, deserve to be ruined, then, you know, that's just desserts. But if someone got fucked over, uh because of sour grapes for some reason or yeah. something, then it's just horrible. Absolutely. 
Well, we got a little heavy there. Let's lighten it up. We have a <laughs> we have a viewer here a with a question for John. Serge Tankian is one of my favorite artists. My question is, is System of a Down carried by him or is Darren the Paul McCartney of the classics they produce? That's a good question. I mean, I think they're both powerhouses of that band. Uh, you know, Darren writes great songs. Uh, you know, he's this real iconoclast. And they almost have a McCartney-Lennon relationship in that they're friends, but I don't think they like each other on, on a certain level um, or can be around each other too long. Yeah. You know, um, Serge is very art artistic and poetic and political. And Darren wants to sit around and smoke pot and, and uh, play music and listen to death metal or black metal or whatever he's into. I know he was into black metal. I don't know if it's still his thing. But um, they're both really talented artists in their own right. And that's one of the things that made SOAD so special. Awesome. We appreciate the question. Uh, listen, John, obviously we have you on here because you're Mr. Metal. But it is sports and metal. Yeah, you can tell from the long hair and the glasses. <laughs> Listen, we'll get a little sports in before we end the show. I know right you're on. pumped about your Giants, man. Giants, man. <laughs> is it a fluke? Is it? I, I don't know. They keep winning. I, I can't. Yeah. They well, don't Jay's have an a Eagles fan. Jay's an Eagles fan, so you guys are going to be at it. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be tough. They don't have a wide receiver. They still don't, you know. They've got two great runners. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, Jones is able to scramble around, and I wouldn't say he's the best uh, quarterback at running, but but uh, he, he's he's pulled it off in a lot of situations because you could see, unlike you know, Eli Manning would throw three out of four downs, and then one out of four would be a pickoff. <laughs> but uh, um, it's uh, it's all Saquon, and and uh, you know, it's a it's a, it's a it's a running game now that the Giants are forced to play. And I think that's different for them because I think for years they were an air team and, and, and God, they need a wide receiver. Yeah. It's amazing. They, they really don't have a wide receiver. I will say this. I, I do think the Eagles are going to win the division. Yeah. They obviously are the favorite, but Jay's in a fantasy football league with me and Jay will attest. I'm not a Giants fan. I'm a Miami Dolphins fan, <laughs> but Jay will attest this to be true. I did have a text after like week one when Saquon Barkley had a huge game to break the, you know, the Giants had their shock opening win opening day. And I, I remember I sent a text in the group text. I said, hot take. If Saquon is back, the Giants have a chance to win the, the NFC East. And what so the Giants are doing, they're able to hot. stop, they're able to stop teams in that, like between the 30 yard line and the goal line a lot. And and they've had to settle for extra uh, for field goals or missed field goals. Um, I think that's been the key to their success because they've had a lot of close games. Um, and 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 you know it's because you look at a game or and, and and there's always one or two breakout plays where oh yeah there was that you know 50 yard pass that that uh, brought them to that touchdown. And you can't really count on the Giants for that big play unless it's a Saquon kind of thing. They're much more of a of a, a kind of gritty, you know, 10 yards at a time kind of team this year. Very true. And uh, I hope they can hold it together. But uh, I was, I was stoked to be, to be at uh, uh, the Meadowlands when they, when they played the Ravens and won. It's the, uh, 
one and only live uh, uh, professional football game I've been to. But I took my son. Awesome. Near blast. That's great. <laughs> That's awesome, John. I, I, I know you're a Yankee fan too. So are the Yankees yeah, going to sign they Judge? Did as best they could, you know. Well, are they going to sign Judge? Do you think they're going to mean they're going to hold on to him? Is Judge gonna? I I think Judge will go where the money is. Um, I, I think so too, but I think the Yankees will pony up. I think they'll, they'll pony. They, they, he's, you know, he just won the MVP. He, he's, yeah. If, if he can have anywhere near a year next year as he had this year, but I think he was really disappointed. Then again, he didn't really show up for the playoffs either. No, he didn't. Like, a lot of, a lot of their star guys just kind of got cold. I'm a Mets fan. I can relate. <laughs> I can relate. It was an exciting year, though. It was, it was. Uh, you know, and it, it's always if they make the playoffs, I'm always content. Once and and the Astros, you know, oh well, we always lose the Astros. <laughs> they do own you guys. <laughs> yeah, they tend to. <coughs> anyway, John, we're actually out of time. Uh, fuck sports. Let's talk metal. Well, there's always <laughs> next week. <laughs> we're out of time this week, John. Listen, we are always so glad to have you on the show. And we would love to have you back soon. Love to do it. It's always a blast. You know? Anyway, guys, thanks for watching. Um, I want to just give a shout-out again before we head out of here. Visit our sponsor, La Terrain Watches. Go to their website, www.laterrain.com. Use our promo code SNM. That's the letters SNM as in Sports and Metal to save 10% off your purchase. Tell them Sports and Metal sent you. Make sure you check us out on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Sports and Metal. Visit our website, www.sportsandmetal.com. And make sure to check out John Wiederhorn. Check out his podcast, Backstaged, The Devil in Metal. It is unbelievable. You can find it anywhere you check out podcasts. All right, guys. Always a pleasure. Until next time, rock on. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. Thank you, John. And that's our show. Tune in next time for more Sports and Metal. With Jason Voorhees and Aaron Savage. Oh, yeah. Got something to say? Hit us up at sportsandmetal0423 at yahoo.com or on Twitter at Sports and Metal.